The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen grand is the... Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen grand Dr. grand Dr. Doreen grand Dr. Doreen grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod and look who I'm here with, the fabulous Good Dr. Morning. Doreen Pichet. Uh We're going to be with you for the next hour and Dr. Grampichet is going to be answering your questions live. We have some questions that have been written in ahead of time and we'll be taking questions live because we are live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter and a bunch of other places. In just a second, our wonderful Trayvon is going to show you some of the places where you can watch us live, some of the places where you can watch us in podcast form. Don't forget that we do podcast. Podcast. We are available wherever you get your podcast as a free download. That is the audio only portion of the show. If you want to watch the video portion of the show because you want to see how lovely Dr. Grand Pichet is and how fantastic <laughs> her shoes are, not me, but her, then you really want to do that on our YouTube channel because that's where you can see it all, do it all. I didn't say good morning. Good morning. <laughs> good morning, everyone. I, I get it's off on a roll. To be here. <laughs> I get off on a roll. If you don't know who Dr. Grand Pichet is, she is a true expert in the field of autism. She's been working in this field for 45 years, uh, <laughs> more than 40 years. I mean, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. She doesn't look, her skincare regimen is amazing and you have good genes, I've, I've determined. Um, but uh, I also think that working with young people in lots of different ways has also helped to keep you uh, as young and youthful as you are. <laughs> so uh, she has been working in this field for more than 40 years and She's worked with all kinds of individuals in this field, young babies, preschool children, school-age children, teenagers, adults, and senior citizens on the autism spectrum. In lots of different capacities, she has also helped to shape the thinking of a lot of people in the field of autism and trained a lot of people in the field of autism. That does not mean that you, uh, (laughs) how do I want to say this? That doesn't mean she's trained everybody in the field of autism. And we do talk about ABA here and about the fact that there's really good quality ABA and that there is some stuff that's masquerading as ABA that is not good ABA. Correct. Um, and And it's really important that we empower you to know the difference between them. Because as we hear from people, there are people who are getting the bad ABA. I'll share a story later on, something that somebody wrote in, where it clearly defines that. Um, and and we feel that that needs to stop. The people Definitely. who are torturing people in the name of ABA, that for sure needs to stop. So I uh, just wanted to be clear about that because I think sometimes people tune in and they go, oh, they're talking about ABA and they assume it's the bad kind. Right, and I mean, and, and on that note, I kind of wanted to say that in this show, we don't just talk about ABA. No. We talk about everything that you should be doing if you have a child with autism or if you are on the spectrum these are things you should be considering because yes. not everything is right for everyone, but these are all different treatments. And we talk about a lot of subjects having to do with autism. Today we're talking about elopement. Yes. And, you know, wonderful of you to bring that up because I think one of the hallmarks of what you have done in the past 40 years is you've asked 
the entire world to look at individuals on the spectrum as individuals on the spectrum. Right. That it's not a one-size-fits-all and that we need to consider them as human beings, what their wants, desires, what is important to them, not be teaching them something that is just for the good of somebody else. Right. Um, that And, you know, I, I swear I need to get the T-shirts made, but one of your favorite mm-hmm. phrases that I love is it has to be fair. Right. And if it isn't fair, then it's wrong. Right. It has to be fair. And it's not going to be effective if it isn't fair, but it also isn't considering the human being. So, yes, we are talking about elopement today. Maybe let's start with... And I, I didn't get the disclaimer. Although Dr. Grampy-Shea is a true expert in this field, there is no expert in any field who can give individual specific advice in this format. I think that's a no-brainer, but I need to say it. So when you write in, please give as many details as possible to us so that Dr. Grampy-Shea can answer your question with as much knowledge as possible. But know that because she doesn't have eyes on the situation and the individual, she can only give generic Uh, non-specific advice, but the more information, the more she can give. But then you take that information back to the expert that has eyes on the situation, and that will be wonderful. And I'm saying hello and good morning already to Parker and Melody and Susie and Nicholas. I'm going to be on Nicholas's podcast later on today. At 7 p.m. Central Time, I'm going to be talking with Nicholas, Neurodivergent Journeys. So that's going to be really cool. And Christia, we're so glad that you're here. Okay, so let's start with talking about what elopement is. Right, and I had, you know, I was thinking about it a little bit earlier today and and wrote down some stuff I don't want to forget to say. Okay. So elopement is when our child elopes or runs away, um, and this happens, and it's not as if they're running away from something, they just wander. And, of course, there's a lot of danger involved with this because... Uh, lots of different reasons. So today we want to talk a little bit about some of the preventative things that we can do um, if you have a child who is wandering. Mm-hmm. Okay, and of course, if you are in an ABA program um, or any kind of teaching program, you want to make sure that your your team of people working with your child are aware of this and are actively putting a program in to work on this because. It is possible to teach a child not to leave their home without an adult, but it's something that takes a little bit of practice and time. Um, and until that happens, you as a parent obviously want to be, you want to feel safe, right? And you want to make sure your child is safe. So there's a lot of different things. One of the things that is really, really good and, and becoming more and more popular are these GPS devices. And I think the, the company, two companies that I had, researched a little bit. One was AngelSense mm-hmm. that we've spoken about. They have QR codes that you can either iron on or attach to the child's clothing. And then there's another one called Pathfinders. And there's a lot of these companies now if you look out there um, online. But a GPS device somewhere attached to your child is not a bad thing. Yep. And the problem, of course, is that you know a lot of kids, when they leave, they're not necessarily, for instance, wearing shoes or a jacket or something like that. So it might, you know, you might want to make sure that it's attached somewhere like on their underwear or on the back of their T-shirt or something where uh, that item is actually with the child. Mm-hmm. That is probably the most helpful because your ch- you'll be able to look up on your, on your phone and find your child as soon as possible should this happen. Now, 
obviously a lot of people in the past used to use safety bracelets or those bracelets that also have information on them. They say, for instance, your child's diagnosis or anything that your child might be um, allergic to, um, and those are still helpful as long as your child is willing to keep it on. Um, That's very important. Uh, Obviously, making sure you have locks on every door and window in the house Uh, is super, super important. And if you look, actually, there are a lot of these. You don't have to have a sophisticated, fancy alarm system. There are alarms that you put on the door where if two parts of the alarm separate, it will uh, produce a very jarring sound. Um, Those actually, a lot of times, have been very effective in teaching the child to avoid the door. Mm -hmm. Um, So alarm systems everywhere, super, super important to have that. Now, Other things that you can do to give yourself a little bit of peace of mind is go to the local police station and take your child and introduce your child to the officers that are responsible for your neighborhood. It's kind of important, especially if you have an adolescent, let's say, because, you know, if the police, a lot of times we would, we used to train the police, but Police are not trained to understand that perhaps an individual with autism will not respond to stop or put your hands up or don't put your hands in your pocket or things like that. They might not understand what any of that means. So it's really important for the police to be aware of how to interact with your child. Now, a lot of agencies are open to training the police. They like to do this. In fact, A lot of agencies are now training all first responders, including the fire department. So these are good, uh, you know, and you could familiarize your child with the fire department or them with your child as well. This is just helpful to to do because in case your child is lost, then the police are right on it and they kind of know what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, Another idea is to actually familiarize your neighbors with your child and your child's ability or disability to communicate. And that is, as you know, just go around, talk to the neighbors, tell them what's going on with your child, tell them that there's occasional eloping happening, um, and that they, if, you know, if they do see your child, give them a phone number, a place to contact you, and that would be very helpful as well. One of the things that is super, super important, I think, is teaching your child how to swim. Sadly, one of the things that occurs with kids who elope is that they see bodies of water and they jump in and they don't know how to swim and and this situation can be fatal. So it is very important to try to teach your child skills that will perhaps protect them should they elope. Swimming, obviously, is a big one, but all safety skills, like we had a whole section of safety skills that we used to work on, including crossing the street, you know, or cars and the danger associated with being hit by a car. All of these things, depending on your child's ability to pay attention and understand and learn those things, but these are the things that should go into your program, not just, you know, how do I make sure my child doesn't elope, but all the safety things should they elope, like paying attention to these types of things. In fact, I knew a parent who went around the neighborhood and actually 
had like little markers on the posts so that if their child reached those, they'd know how to turn around and go home mm. type of thing. So they kind of marked their neighborhood in a way that would help their child. Mm -hmm. And another thing that I learned from the same parents was that their child always had a specific hiding spot. Mm. And to learn where those places of interest are, because if your child is not around, you definitely want to go there first, and, first yeah. and look for the child there. Um, and then again, the last thing is, you know, it, it's always, it is very possible to teach your child not to leave without having a responsible person with them. All you do is you uh, will reinforce uh, progressive steps to this. So, that, for instance, you reinforce your child going to the door and not opening it. You reinforce your child coming to you and getting you and going to the door and then exiting together, those types of things. So it's super important that you have people working on the actual part of the teaching, part of not running away as well. Elopement's a pretty serious issue. It really uh, you know, is. There was a meme for a while and everybody decided it was too harsh, but there was a meme that was called death by autism. Mm -hmm. And because the number one cause of death for children on the autism spectrum is drowning after eloping. Mm -hmm. Guess what the number two is? Being hit by a car after eloping. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that there's a single parent, autism parent out there that doesn't fear this, mm -hmm. right? But sometimes we don't know what to do. And because it's, there are so many prongs, yeah. all the things that you just talked about, we have to teach our child, we have to make the area safe, we have to talk to the community, we have to do all of these things. Sometimes it gets overwhelming and we feel like it's not possible to keep them right. safe. Right. And then people later on will say, I don't understand why autism parents are so overprotective. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes it seems like the world is so huge and that our child can fall into it in so many different ways. So I'm glad we're talking about it today. Absolutely. And remember, eloping doesn't just happen from home. No. It happens a lot of times when you're at the mall, for instance, and your child just decides to take off. So it's really important to, to be ready for this. And in fact, our first question is about elopement from school. Oh, and of yeah. course, what we know, um, the famous case is Avante's case, mm -hmm. when Avante ran out a side door in a school, and yeah. then there was a search for him. And of course, it was devastating that ultimately they found that he had drowned. Um, and no comfort to his parents. Um, now there's Avante's law where the state of New York is trying to make it possible for everyone to be able to get safety devices, but that can't be the only thing. Right. So let's take a look at this first question that somebody wrote in and said, my son has eloped three times mm -hmm. from his classroom. I wasn't there, so I don't know what happened. I have asked and, have got, have, and haven't gotten good information back. I have asked how they are going to deal with it, and they have said that they are going to give him more choices, teach him how to ask for a break, and they're going to start to, uh, a reward system when he doesn't elope. They go on to say, I love all of this, but should there also be a plan to keep him safe until these things kick in? Exactly, exactly. And that's a verbatim what I was talking about. And that is clear that you have a behaviorist answering those questions because those are behavioral techniques and they're effective, but they do take some time. And during that time, you better get that school. They better put locks on the doors. And I know that there's an issue with that because it's a fire hazard, yeah. right? So they need to just have the alarm systems, which we used to have on all of our clinics as well, the exit door, which is essentially if the door opens, you can still open the door, but it will buzz. It'll make a big sound and anyone, no matter where they are in the building, will hear it. Yeah. So that's a big deal. And you do need to have the GPS device. And 
Honestly, it's, I think it's horrendous that your school has lost him three times. That's just, it's unreal. Well, that speaks of incompetence yeah. because yeah. they shouldn't lose him once, but if they lose him once, that's when this plan should have been implemented. The right. fact that it's right. three times and we're talking right. about it makes me nervous. And they still haven't done anything for safety, right. even after three times. So this is really, really important. Please give them all of these ideas. For instance... You know, most schools have a security guard. You know, where is the security guard? Why isn't there someone have eyes on him at all time? You know, those are very important things. And, you know, I know this from my experience that most schools sit on a place and there is at least part of it that's fenced. Sometimes the front of the building isn't fenced um, so that people can come in. Now, with so many things that have gone on, a lot, sometimes it's completely fenced. But it doesn't matter if there's a fence if the gates are all open. Like there are self-closing gates and, and, you know, asking when are the gates locked, when are they not locked, going and regularly touring the campus and seeing are they adhering to it. Yeah. you got to do everything you can, I think. Absolutely. And I, I can't even imagine that we would have schools right now where there are special needs kids and there are no borders or barriers or gates or anything, you know, fences. Like, that is just dangerous. So Jem was somebody who eloped, and um, when he, where he went to preschool, there wasn't a gate, and we were very, very concerned about it. And while I was there volunteering one day, yeah. it was Halloween, one of the other kids eloped. And you know how, how we knew that he had eloped? Was that somebody from down the street brought him back to yeah. the school. Yeah. And I said, oh, do we think we need a gate now? And they put in a gate. But then the next year he went to kindergarten and moved to a different school. And I said, I want to walk the campus. I want to, I want to see the gates. I'm going to get in trouble for telling the story. Good. Let's, let's make good trouble, right? <laughs> but anyway, they were like, no, no, no. We lock the gates all the time. And, and of I, course they were open. And I said, um, okay, I'm going to come over and I'm going to take a tour. Because I knew. I'd been watching. With my binoculars, I was that parent, uh-huh. right? And so I, I said I'd meet the administrator over, and we walked the campus. And everywhere we went, the self-closing gates were propped open. Yeah. Every single gate. Yeah. And at one per- point, I turned to her, and I said, she goes, well, obviously, I see we have a problem, and we're going to get this fixed. I said, here's the thing. You've met me. If it were me, I would have come earlier, walked it myself, and made sure each one of these gates was closed. Yeah. What were you thinking? And she said, well, I shouldn't admit this to you, but I did. Oh, wow. I went around and closed all of them. And they were and all now open it's 10 again. minutes later. And, and, I, and I said, okay, now, now we're both in agreement. Yeah. There's a problem yeah. here. She said, yeah. no, no, got it. And then they were on it, yeah. like white on rice. Yeah. Good. Um, that's great. But that's the kind of on it you have to be as a parent. And my son never eloped from school. He yeah. only eloped once from home. It was enough to scare the bejesus out of me. Of course. I, th- I mean, I, you know, Christina <sighs> Adams wrote in her book about when her son eloped once. And it's like 10 minutes that you never forget in your life. Oh, my God. It's horrible. You horrifying. don't recover from it. So I, I, for anybody who has not had that, I want you to pretend for a moment that you have and do whatever you would do yeah. if you'd had that 10 yeah. minutes. Yeah, it's hard. Because horrifying. it's the time of year. We just, yesterday, there was another case of a little boy who drowned oh my after gosh. eloping. And this is the time of year that it happens. So, uh, okay, we have another elopement question. Our 16-year-old daughter has started leaving our home at night after we've gone to bed. Oh. She's very high-functioning but has trouble with impulse control, especially around boys. How do I keep her at home? I am open to the idea of locks, but I also want to know how to get her to want to stay home. We weren't planning on a conservatorship. Now I don't know. A different type of elopement. Yeah, this is a different, slightly different issue because there's awareness. And the child is, or the teen in this case, 
is not necessarily eloping without being aware of what's going on around them, but it's the same issue in the sense that the teen is not aware of danger. And danger comes in multiple different ways. Obviously, as Shannon said, danger can be a swimming pool when you don't know how to swim or a car when you're not aware of cars uh, you know, on the road. Or it can be, uh, you know, danger by going and visiting boys who have no interest in taking care of you. Yes. And uh, that could be a dangerous situation in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So the answer really is to teach her about danger when it comes to promiscuity, um, not necessarily anything else. And I do agree with you. It's the same answer. You need to keep her safe. Mm -hmm. um, so locks, yes, I would say either GPS, definitely. I have typically developing kids in their 20s, and I have all of their locations on my phone at all times. So, you know, you should definitely know where she is. Obviously, it's very, very difficult if this takes place after you're asleep, which is why the alarm doors are very good. Um, but also just sitting and talking about relationships and what a relationship really is as opposed to just being promiscuous with boys late at night. Uh, explaining the difference of that and if she is high-functioning, which she sounds like she is, um, now you're kind of dealing with an issue that a lot of teens have, which is not really understanding that difference and not understanding how they can be in, unsafe if they are going out and, you know, uh, doing whatever it is with boys late at night, people who they don't really know very well. Yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, and then we have another elopement question. Our newly diagnosed three-year-old loves to run. Yeah. Uh, the problem is he will run right out into traffic or a busy parking lot. He won't hold my hand. He will do whatever he has to do to get away if I put him down. So I tend to carry him. He doesn't like that. Oh, yeah. I don't either, but I don't know what to do. Please help. Right. And it's that's so difficult. And I know that a lot of parents are against these um these things that look like a leash. I don't know what they're called. They're like a harness type of thing because yeah. it actually goes around the child's chest. Yep. And the first time I saw one of those was honestly in the 80s. Mm -hmm. I, I remember a parent was walking down the hallway at UCLA and they had one of these on their child. And I thought, this is actually pretty clever because like, yeah. it really attaches you to your child. in the And I know it, look, it doesn't... We don't want to do that to our kids, but if they learn until they learn safety, I feel like safety is more important than yeah. how it looks. So if your child is not willing to hold your hand, then this is another way that you can do this. And again, everything is teachable. So um, you start with walking, holding hands for you know 10 seconds and reward that somewhere. And then two days later, you're going to do 30 seconds and one minute and so on and so forth. And your child will learn that, oh, the longer I hold my mom's hand or dad's hand, um, the more likely it is I'm going to get a reward. And that is how behavior changes. But as the other parent wrote, this, any kind of shaping in, in behavioral psychology takes time. Yeah. And so in, while you're shaping, you need to make sure you have that safety going on. 
I just want to say, as the ghost of Christmas future, um, this was Jem. Jem yeah. had one of those harnesses. Yeah. And we couldn't go anywhere. And he yeah. would bite my hand yeah. to get away from me. And then he would just run. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, look at where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yep. so, like, keep your child safe. Keep working on it. Because eventually we were, you know, with good ABA, you guys taught us and taught him the joy of holding our hand. Yes. And it was very, it wasn't that, it didn't take that long. Um, we still had other stuff to work on because if he saw something he liked, he would run. But um, it's worth it to work on it. And yes. I thought, I thought we would go to the park and I, where they would do these big concerts in our, in our neighborhood. And I would look at all these teenagers running around and I thought, we'll never have that. Mm-hmm. We will never, ha- I totally have that now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was work. Yeah. It was work and time. It's worth it. Uh, okay, I do want to say to people watching, we're saying hi to Melody from Rock of Gibraltar. Uh, good morning to Susie. And again, I will be on Nicholas' Neurodivergent Journey, his podcast. Uh, I think we're live on Facebook. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Nicholas. That's tonight at 7 p.m. Central Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Um, I want to acknowledge Parker, who wrote in uh, some good advice also that you were saying about the elopement. Christia... Uh, I also want to say to Autism Journey with Elijah, she said, good morning, everyone, happy Tuesday morning, and then later said, wow, that question hits too close to my situation. I'm sorry for that parent to be going through that. It's nerve-wracking, that's for sure. Parker says that Blue Bridges is a great organization that trains officers in New Jersey. Love that. Love that referral there. Um, Melody says, when my son was arrested in school... I mean, let's just talk about that for a second. Last year in September 2022, still was not diagnosed with autism and no one understood him. Plus, we have lost faith in our local police as we have severe harassment and antisocial behavior in my block where I live. And police do nothing. My son has lost trust in authorities. My son eloped once last year after a first session with a psychologist. He was on Amber Alert. Oh, my my gosh. Gosh, Melody. Uh, he did not have a phone and no house keys. He wandered off uh, to the leisure center into town and ended in my dad's house, the other side of town, three hours later. It was a horrible day for me. I'm sending you a hug. I can't even imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I, talk about PTSD. Uh, Joanne says, hi, Dr. Doreen and Shannon. We, um, we don't have an elopement issue, but we have a fear of strangers and still don't understand road car safety recommendations. So, yeah, we don't fear strangers. Right. And there's a whole, like, there are lessons that very specifically teach you relationships. Um, the lesson that I had written a long time ago was it kind of was a visual where you would have one circle that would be the people that are the closest to you. So mom and dad, siblings, for instance. Then there would be the next circle, which is a distant family. So it would be like cousins and so on. And you can actually produce this kind of on the wall and put pictures or names of people. And then the next, uh, I guess, circle or, or phase would be acquaintances so these would be let's say people that are maybe friends of the parent or you know people that you know um, and also teachers would be in there because they're kind of, unless there's a teacher who's been with your child for many many years they're also in the acquaintance or you you know level you also have of course friends of the family so you have kind of more and more until you get to the point where you have strangers And that's the last circle, and strangers are people we have never met before, right? Or we don't know them even if we've met them once. We don't really know know much about them. 
And then you go back and you start talking about the different things that you would do or wouldn't do with each of those levels. So it's kind of like, you know, if a friend comes and says, uh, hey, let's go to the other room. Uh, if it's one of the f close friends of the family, maybe that's okay to do. But if it's an acquaintance, what would you do? You would go ask a parent, is it okay for me to go out with this person? If it's a stranger, you don't even talk to them. So you have, and each family has different rules, but now you've identified for your child the different levels of relationship. I think we used to call it levels of friendship, Yes. this lesson. And you'd ha you can throw all kinds of stuff into those, those uh, phases and different types of th behaviors that you would have with each level. And so that's kind of one way that we approached it, which was how to, you don't want your child to be fearful of strangers, but you want them to be apprehensive, I guess is the word. You want them to realize that they're not supposed to interact with a stranger without you there. Think about the, the rules, right? So are they allowed to interact with a stranger if you're there, if a teacher that they know very well is there, if a cousin is there? Think about those rules because our kids are very rule-governed and you need to give them rules and then they will learn those rules and over time it then becomes kind of the, the, the lines on this kind of a situation are pretty blurry, yeah. right? Like, for instance, sometimes... Um, what was it I was reading about this? It was some, like a story about a child where uh, the parent had said, you never talk to strangers. And this then, is what we talked about last week yes, on the show. Yes. Yes. What was it again? Do you remember? So um, it was Rosie O'Donnell. That's right. That that's Rosie right. O'Donnell. That's exactly um, right. They, they, she was at her door because she was in New York City and they had a doorman. Yes. And so, uh, you know, the doorman said hello to her son, whose name is Parker, oddly enough. And, and then she was like, talk to him. Why did yes. you not respond? And he was like, you told me not to say hello to strangers. Yes, exactly. And she exactly. was like, oh, this is this whole. And she talked about it on her show. This is this whole that we teach them this black and white rule. Don't That's talk right. to strangers. That's and right. then we tell them, why didn't you say hello to the cashier right. at Walmart? Right, exactly. And so you have to be very careful about whatever rule you're putting in place. Yeah. I don't talk to strangers unless I am there or unless dad is there or whatever it is that your particular family desires. And, and then, of course, you explain and you explain. But it is difficult because a lot of times our kids don't have the ability to understand all of that, yeah. right? So you kind of have to define for them what a, a stranger actually is. It's someone you've never seen before or you've never talked to or, you know, those types of things. I love this lesson. When we were working on this, because um, the, the, our, we call them therapists, the, our behavior technicians would language it right there in front of the people, and then I started doing that. Yep. So we would be someplace, and I, you know, we would walk up in Disneyland, there would be the, the ride operator person, and I, and I would say to Jem, you know, is, is this person a stranger? And he would go, yes. And I would say, are you allowed to talk to them? And he'd say, yes, because you're here. And I, and I said, but if he asks you to get into his car, can you go with him? No. And right. we would do it right exactly. there with the person. Exactly. And the person would be like, hello. What did I do? <laughs> Why am I this But kid? then they would kind of get into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. we would add in other lessons. That's when he learned what's their name and how do we know that they're a worker here? Right, right. Could you ask them for help if you needed it? Right. Like, we would just tag on to like glom onto all of it and exactly. do that in front of them. 
You know, just as you were describing this, I remembered another video we had done a long time ago with elopement, and mm-hmm. I just forgot, I had forgotten to say, make sure your children know your address and their phone oh, number, right? Yes. Because one of the things that happens when a child elopes is somebody will ask them, what's your phone number, what's your address, what's your mom's name, that kind yeah. of stuff, and the child doesn't have their basic information, their own name, full name, your parents' name, yeah. and so on, so that... You can always do that. You guys always taught uh, us that he should, if he's lost someplace, to find a mom with a kid and go ask her for help. Right, right. I loved that. Yeah. And the rationale was that usually if it's a mom with a kid, they're going to be you safer know, and take gonna care be of kind you. and considerate because they don't want their kid to be right. missing. And But that was what you guys taught my son. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, uh, those are good rules. Great, great, great rules. So, Yuhani uh, also wrote that the thing about road and car safety, and that in itself also is a lesson. You can teach that through your ABA team. Or we had actually developed a game in, on Camp Discovery, and I don't know, it might still be accessible if you go on the app uh, program and find games, and it's called Camp Discovery, and there was one particularly for teaching the child road safety or crossing the street. There's also another one that's done by Florio, which is a VR virtual reality company and they specifically have a VR program for crossing the street again and road safety. So Amazing because you can never work too much on that stuff. Uh, Parker has written in with something about elopement but the other kind of elopement he wanted to give us an update about the wedding that he wasn't oh, invited okay. to. They, uh, we thought it was just uh, a bachelor party or whatever but it turns out that it was actually an elopement so it was the actual oh. wedding the other kind of elopement um, and reception not a shower uh, not only was none of our, were none of our cousins invited, but my mom wasn't invited. There our you aunt go. and uncle and well, no, it gets worse. Oh, uh, aunt and uncle <laughs> in Mesa, Arizona, weren't invited. We got into a huge argument, and as of last Friday, we're no longer in speaking terms. Oh no! And that Parker says I called him a liar and a deceiver and a con artist oh, and no. told him oh, openly, no. I hope he gets a divorce. Uh, His brother is getting married next year, and I'm worried that this will boil over then, and my family therapist appointment got postponed until next month. Uh, Please help me and my family. Wanted to add more info, but my question last week, that's all. But, uh, you know, it's hard because sometimes our feelings get hurt, and we get angry, and we say things. Mm -hmm. But now we see where we're at, that the whole family is like ripped apart, and I'm sure, Parker, that you're having some feelings about that. Yeah. And it's very difficult, and, you know, a lot of times we have to, whether it's before or after, Parker, it doesn't matter, you have to identify all the feelings on both sides. And this is really, really important. It's one thing to have an idea of the feelings of yourself and your family, but it's very important to have written down kind of what you think the feelings of the individual were as well. How did they feel? How did... All of this interaction, what did this evoke in them? What did it cause for them on their elopement day? Now, be you know, really focus on that. And then I think once you're able to perhaps think about how others feel, uh, the issue becomes communication. And everything, all these kinds of disagreements, arguments, etc., are usually able to be resolved once there's better communication. And I, I don't know... You know, calling each other names and getting angry and all this sort of stuff is not really communication because people get hurt 
and then they can't respond openly because they become defensive because you may have said something that hurt them. So, you know, if there's any space for it, you might need a mediator, which is usually a therapist who can help mend things. But at this point, it sounds like it's not just you, it's your entire family. So I think this is something that perhaps should be decided more by your mom uh, or other members of the family who are older who are also involved in this situation because this sounds like a pretty difficult thing to resolve since there are so many people with hurt feelings. Yeah, but I'm going to evoke my dad. I was just talking about this in the car on the way in this morning that um, my mother was a very intense person and she wanted things her way a lot of the time and my dad was a buffer and my dad had this sense always... Like, you know, there, there are times in life when you go to a wedding or a funeral or a christening or whatever, and sometimes it's about you and sometimes it's not about mm-hmm. you. Sometimes it's somebody else's day. And there were a lot of people in my family that don't know how to take that mm-hmm. when it's not about them. But my dad would always be the buffer. And I can remember on the day that I was graduating from graduate school. Right. And I had to run around because there were a lot of family members that were there. And I ran around all day long getting their things, doing this, doing that for them. And then finally at like 5 o'clock, my dad said, time out. This is Shannon's day. Yeah. And everybody else, you're going to put your personal needs aside because this is Shannon's day. Yeah. And he would do this. And, and I remember on my, my sister's wedding day that things were going on and I had things going on. And he was like, time out. Mm-hmm. This is your sister's day. So you're going to have your experience, but this is her day. Nice. And, and I try now that my dad's not here anymore to be that person in my family when I, I show that. up. For somebody's thing to go, wait a second, whose day is it? Because right. we're all having an experience, right? Right. But when it's the wedding day, it is the day for the bride and the groom. That's right. And what everybody else wants gets in the back seat. It's true. It's true. And, and I think that when you can be that way for people, they appreciate it. Because it's well, supposed to be their day. Absolutely. And this is kind of one of the things that I talk about, Shannon, which is, You know, as you know, there are a lot of self-advocates who say we don't want to be changed. Yes. But the bottom line is we all change ourselves in order to fit into social Mm -hmm. situations and norms. And this is a good example of that. When it... We all have feelings around being invited, not being invited, that kind of stuff. Everybody does. But the truth is, if it's someone's special day... Uh, social norms dictate that you back off, and that is probably not the day to talk to that individual about why or not you were or were not invited. These are just social rules that yes. everybody kind of has to adhere to, or we try to adhere to. It's not always the case because we all get emotional and we do things that are inappropriate on, and we're taking away from other people's mo- special moments. Yes, but I mean those are the social rules. And you're entitled to feel how you feel. Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that your agenda becomes the top one. That's so right. So I'm sure that everybody's feelings are hurt that they weren't involved. Yes, yes. But you know, the truth of the matter is, is that these two people decided to get married and that they wanted to do it in a very private way. Yes. And you are entitled to feel bad that you weren't invited. You are not entitled to say to them, I hope you get a divorce. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. you feel bad about that, Parker. But, you know... Sometimes if I have a feeling and I know that it's not something to visit on somebody, I will write a letter and throw it away. Yeah. Because then I get yeah. my feelings out. That's the way to do it. Yes. But, but I didn't 
visit them on somebody who who doesn't really have anything to do that's with that's right it. that's right anyway just my advice parker glad to evoke my dad my dad was a great man uh okay i have this other question because they wrote in last week and said we get did we get their question about yeast this is oh. a whole other thing um but hi ladies first off i would like to thank you for all the knowledge and education you provided me through your show uh second i have heard your talks about yeast digestion and thought okay that doesn't pertain to my child until one night she wakes up at 3 a.m. entertaining and self-laughing and I'm half asleep but I turned to my side and I smelled an overwhelming smell like someone just baked a loaf of bread (laughs) and it was the time I realized what was going on after doing research I found that coconut oil has been shown to defeat the yeast overgrowth my daughter loves eating tortilla chips so I started buying tortilla chips fried in coconut oil to help try and stem the imbalance is there any other natural treatments you can recommend i've heard of things like oil of oregano but i feel more comfortable giving her food that will supplement her instead of extracted essential oils is there any food or any tips you can recommend i would be so grateful thank you yeah there's a um i'm trying to it's a powder i'm trying to look up the name because i haven't used it in such a long time. Is it the culture, cultural? No, cultural is a probiotic, yeah. which is also great. Um, but there's another one. I, I, if I remember the name of it, I will make sure we okay. get that to you. But um, anyway, so yeast is a very, very difficult thing to deal with. We got to talk about that for a minute yeah. because it's not easy to get rid of yeast, actually. So I really do, if it's possible for you, I would recommend talking to a functional medicine doctor. I understand that you don't probably don't want to go into hard medications, but there are, you know, babies when they're newborns, infants uh, can actually uh, contract yeast infection, which is thrush. And we give them nystatin, which is an antifungal medication, and we put it in the baby's mouth until the, the yeast is gone away. So it isn't um, something to be scared of to have antifungal medication. It's important because uh, suffering from candidiasis or yeast infection can have lots and lots of, of side effects and negative effects on the brain, on learning, and as you saw, it kind of makes the individual behave as if they're drunk, right? And so they're not really able to take too much information in from their environment when that's happening. So I do recommend that you talk to a functional medicine physician because they can help you with this. Uh, That being said, yes, oregano is one of those things, and if I could remember the name of this, it's something like candida something it's a powder let me just see if i can okay um yeah can i say while you're looking that yes up, yes that, um you know you're talking about adding something in mm-hmm. that it will help with the yeast and i always think of it as taking stuff out of the diet uh, very important that you know you can help by removing any refined sugar um and you can help by reducing the amount of you know uh even unrefined sugar right so i definitely i would limit the number of carbs i would limit the number of fruits you have to be very careful that you don't put your child into ketosis Mm. which is why you want to be working with a a functional 
doctor, because, you know, everybody's on the keto diet. That's all well and good. These are children. We don't want to put our children into ketosis, especially for long periods of time. That's not a good thing to do. But you can tell very sharply when they, when the, because yeast is a living thing. Yes. And you need to have a certain amount of yeast in your body. You're never going to get rid of it entirely, right? You just want to have the balance, right? That's right. Um, and, and when the balance is wrong and you're to the yeast side, you're going to smell that that brandy smell or the baked bread, that kind of smell. If, if you're on the other side, you get really horrible bad breath. Yes. I mean, it smells yes. like trash. And if you're there, then you know, okay, it's okay to start putting more carbs back in. So, you know, we eliminated like any dried fruit because that's just pure sugar yes. that will go into Canada. We eliminated potatoes for a period of time. Yeah. Uh, we even limited brown rice and fresh um, fruit. And of course, primarily gluten. Oh my gosh, we had already gotten rid of gluten when we did the yeast thing. And it took a while. And I'll tell you that you, you can tell that it's working because your child will get more drunk and you go, clearly yeah. this isn't working, but that's what they call die off. Yeah. And when you start to see them go really drunk, you go, okay, it's working because the yeast, just like the bowl in the bread when you're raising the bread, it tries to expand to survive. That's right. That's exactly right. And actually you mentioned it's all about balance and this company that has a lot of these uh, candida elimination products uh-huh. is, is actually called Balance One. Oh, there we go. So you can look up balanceone.com. It's very naturopathic. It's just things like olive leaf extract okay. and garlic extract and all of these types of things. Um, one of the things I saw on their list is berberine, which is, you know, I'm looking at some of these things, and I know because I've tried them myself, they're, they can be harsh. So I just want to say, again, a lot of this type of dealing with yeast is not as easy as you'd think, and it would be very good if you had a functional medicine physician working with you. Absolutely. Uh, Okay, I want to... Anne had written to us from the Philippines um, and said that God has led me to your channel. Uh, My son was diagnosed with autism last October 30th, and I believe that he is too and a half at this point, but she started getting as much therapy as she could. That means one hour of ABA in the Philippines, two hours of OT and 10 hours of play therapy. And she says they've been doing this for seven months with no significant progress, which is no shock. That's what the studies show. Um, But she's really concerned because she can't get more. She said, I'm proactively talking to his OT, ABA and play therapies and verbalizing concerns on why he isn't making more progress, but they're telling me that he's still young. Um, he's two years and seven months. I'm worried that with this approach, he could never be as functional as I want him to be. I, I, I think we can both agree that's a, that's a reasonable fear. She says, please help. What materials should I watch online to start doing ABA and OT on my own at home when I don't have work while continuing his therapies in the center? I want the best for my child and time is running and he is mm-hmm. aging and he's, his development is regressing. Uh, I want to ha- have him have... Uh, I want to have a, a one-on-one to be able to sit with him at a table so we can start yeah. fun teaching lessons. Yes, um, exactly. Okay, so what... And this is why, I mean, so I would not even be trying to hire trained individuals at this point. I would I would hire all of the... You have play therapists. I don't know what their technique is. I'm not sure how much they're getting paid. But what you're looking for is 
you know, young people, I would say maybe people who have finished high school, who are willing to learn, um, and you will put them in front of a computer and you will sign them up to learn uh, how to become a registered behavior technician, an RBT. Remember, it is not that difficult to get an RBT credential. It's 40 hours or so of class time, followed by a little bit of practicum and supervision by a, a BCBA, a supervisor. So I really do recommend that you find untrained people and you train them. And then there are many, many BCBAs, board-certified behavior analysts in the world who work privately and who are willing to provide supervision to your child. Uh, and the difference between therapy, behavior technician and supervisor is that the behavior technicians are the team of people that actually work directly with your child. And the supervisor also, of course, works directly, but they're the one that kind of designs the program and and troubleshoots and tells you how to get your child from one place to another. And that's a very difficult thing because you're talking about, let's say, a two-and-a-half-year-old who has very little language and communication, little social behavior, all of that. And just as you said, you want to have a team who can sit down, start teaching, literally teaching, using discrete trial techniques to get your child into a mode of learning new things, new language, new uh, you know, nonverbal language like eye contact, compliance, learning how to uh, speak and communicate socially, uh, all of these different things, uh, daily living skills, um, motor skills, dressing themselves, adaptive skills, everything. And they need to be able to do this um, with teaching techniques that are part of ABA. And so the best way you can do is to hire local people. And if you need help with supervisors or people, I know a lot of people who would be willing to just do regular weekly Zoom calls, observe your child in therapy, and give your team guidance on what they need to do next. So you just need to let Shannon know your information and we'll connect you with some of these people. Now, hopefully you can afford to do all of this. Obviously, the bigger issue becomes, you know, affording to get your group trained. But these days, you know, you can get a bunch of people sitting in front of a computer, and it's all the cost of one person, really, uh, training the behavioral techniques. Traven just put up for you, uh, we are aware of one company that provides, the, you can see the videos for free. Now, I'm not 100% sure that they do that globally. I know they do that in the United States. So he put that link up for you. That's the Autism Partnership Foundation. Well, I mean, uh, Autism Partnership used to have centers in Hong Kong. So I think they probably they, do. They, they have one in Japan, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but that 40-hour that training, the online portion of it is free. Yeah, um, that's so, great. So that's you great. Have the, there are also places that do it that there is a cost for it. But again, you you buy to be able to watch one thing, and you can have twelve people watching it. So yes, um, absolutely. Uh, so I hope you'll check that out. And he did put that in the comments, um, so that that's on all the platforms. I do want to get to the fact. And hello, Amanda. We're so happy to have you there. And by the way, Robert would like to elope with you. <laughs> she's very happily married, Robert. So I'm um, speaking up for Greg here on Greg's behalf. Uh, okay, there we go. Um, but Melody has written in. I want to make sure we get to this. Um, that you know, she's been waiting to get the diagnosis. 
Her son is 15 years old. She says now he says that he is not autistic. I think that's a pretty normal thing for a 15-year-old to Mm -hmm. say. Tomorrow he's seeing the pediatrician, and next Wednesday Mm -hmm. he'll see the child psychologist. But she is concerned because he is 15 years old and he is losing weight, she says, again, which is worrying as he's a teenager. He's turning 15 at the end of August. And I know you have spoken about these kinds of concerns before. Um, We do have to be very mindful because anorexia is a thing that is very prevalent in the autism community. Definitely. And I think you're on the right path because you now have connected with a psychologist. Hopefully that's someone that your son trusts and has established a relationship with because this becomes really important at this point. This is, think of this therapist as someone who is going to kind of guide your child's thinking and and your child's self-analysis and self-awareness. So it becomes really, really important to make sure there is an individual that your child can connect with who can guide them. And then it becomes really important for them to have frequent access to this. I mean, and people usually think that you're only supposed to see a therapist once a week. When we used to, you know, when I was training, um, when someone is in uh, need and in a dire condition and they have a lot of needs, you can see them every single day uh, as a therapist. So I would really recommend that you try to get a lot of sessions with this psychologist or therapist that your your son has and try to help them guide them in the right path. There we go. Uh, Autism Journey with Elijah says that they're going to school to become a board-certified awesome. advocate for special education, a B case starting in June. That's awesome. Amanda says it's not hard at all to do the RBT. Uh, she said, I was thinking about starting a program training parents to be an RBT because parents make the best RBTs. There's so much turnaround within the ABA community. If we had more parents, maybe there would be less turnaround. And I will tell Agreed. you... Yeah, and I, I would tell you, I think that's a great idea, Amanda, but I think that there's a lot of trainings that are out there. The The part that I always hear that's difficult from parents is that, because I know I've, I've done the training and I've taken the test and passed the test, but then what you have to do is a certain number of hours practicum working with somebody. Mm-hmm. That's the harder part. Right, just because you're not allowed to do it with your own child. Right. So, you know, if you're able to connect with other parents and you trade and you right. work with the other child, then it's as simple as that. And then you need a BCBA, obviously, to observe you and to take a particular... And by the way, I don't care if you have an RBT. That's not right. the point. The you point, want the knowledge. You want the knowledge, right? And there are other credentials that are also good, but it's about learning the knowledge. And it, without passing that practical test, I, I don't care. You already have the knowledge. And the more you observe our good RBTs working with a child, your child, uh, the better you get at this. It's just a matter of experience and time, honestly. Yeah, but I think sort of ha- the the thing about because um, I didn't I didn't go for the actual certification for RBT, but I wanted the knowledge. Yes, uh, I wanted the knowledge for me as a parent. And I wanted the knowledge for me sitting here interviewing people. Um, but but I do think that there are parents out there who go, you know, if I'm going to take all this time and do this, why not have the certification? Because there is a shortage of RBTs yes. and people who can't get therapy because they don't have an RBT. Right. I sort of think that an RBT co-op 
You had a group of parents who all became RBTs, and you had one BCBA who oversaw all of you, and you could all end up. I mean, Absolutely. it'd be a way of making sure your kid got services. I think it's brilliant. Um, okay. I, I just saw Melody had written back that the child psychiatrist comes every four months. So that's not enough, and that's fine. I mean, that's good because you want your psychiatrist to be able to observe and evaluate in person if possible. But when you have a psychologist or a therapist, so that person can do Zoom sessions. They do not need to be there in person. In fact, after COVID, the vast majority of psychology by far occurs on the phone in Zoom. And um, I, you know, psychiatrists are also wonderful and they are specializing in the provision of medications and biomedical interventions psychologists are the ones that do all the talk therapies which seem to be very very important for your child right now so i think you need both you need a psychiatrist and a psychologist and that is um, as i said it just will provide more contact and because you have a um cannot do zoom find someone else because there's you know thousands of psychologists out there who do zoom and um, I would suggest you try to search for a young male um, because it sounds like that might be someone who would bond better. There we go. I don't want to miss Um's comment. She said, hello, my faves, and you're a fave as well. Uh, 12-year-old's inhibition is bad. Mm. We, uh, he will say something bad, but when you ask, he says, like, how did you hear? He, uh, he thinks he didn't say it. Mm. Also, from our experience, is it true that when kids reach their second term of life, they regress? This is what the neurologist said, and love you both. No, that's not true at all. There is no phase where all kids regress. There are phases where some children will uh, forget some skills, and then they will recover them. Um, There are phases where some of the skills that they learned are kind of put on hold. This is a working memory issue. So it's sort of uh, with us, when we learn something new, um, our working memory allows us to adjust prior learning so that the new information fits in. Um, A lot of our kids struggle with that. And when they learn something new, it might uh, conflict with something they learned in the past. And they're not very good at figuring out how those two conflicting facts might fit together. So the thing from the past might kind of be put on hold for a while until they're able to acclimate the two together. So don't worry. There's not going to be like a phase of regression. Uh, Just keep your eye on what's happening with your child. Every child is different. And no neurologist should be saying there's a second phase term of life. I have no idea what that means. I've worked with kids of all ages, as Shannon said, and I have not seen that at all. Um, so I definitely would not worry about that. That's a BS thing that has gone around for a lot of years that I remember when school was trying to talk me into doing school instead of doing ABA at home. Yeah. Because that's all we had. And they said, oh, and I quoted the LOVAS study. And yeah. I said, why wouldn't I do that when it's been shown to be effective? Right. And they said, oh, but you, you didn't see that later on they regress. Right. All of those kids regressed. And I was like, where's that study? Where do you have, though they did, they all regressed, and which is BS. Oh, so what's really fascinating, you know, you were just at Autism Partnerships. Yes. And, of course, John McCacken, who is at Autism Partnership, 
did a follow-up study with those kids and showed that they did not regress at go. an age of 11. Yeah, so that was... There so we go. The study exists that they don't regress. But people will tell you anything to manipulate you. Yes. And, and I hate that. So now you know, don't listen to everything that that person says. Uh, I do want to say, Sarah Celery says, what about having the resources, but the child has no desire to learn? So that's a fantastic question. I'm so glad you asked it because the entire premise of AB of any kind of teaching, honestly, not just the ABA, but any kind of teaching has to do with reinforcers, rewards. Everything we do in life is, is because we expect some form of reward from it. Um, whether we go to work because we want to get money uh, to eat or we go to school because we want our parents to be happy with us learning new things or we pick up a language lesson because we think it'll be cool if we can fluently communicate in that. Everything is based on reward. So put aside the resources, do what's called a reinforcement inventory. I bet you these days if you just Google reinforcement inventory, a bunch of samples will pop up. But it's like a long list, like three, four pages of possible things that are rewarding to your child. They could be anything from activities to people they want to hang out with, to food, to tangible items like, you know, toys, games, whatever, to being able to avoid a situation. To I mean, there's a million different things that can be rewarding. Uh, make that list. Use those items to motivate your child to actually want to learn without reinforcement. Like sometimes I'll meet a family and they'll say, he doesn't like anything. There's nothing that motivates him. And I always say, well, if we can't find anything that motivates him, we got to pack it in and go home because you're not forcing anyone to learn. And everyone has reinforcers, everyone. So you just have to identify what they are. And you know, I, 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 I always want to, I wish I could take, uh, there were two, well, three technicians that if I could just take a video of them, what yes. I'd like to do is bring yes. them to your house so that you could see how they make children all of a sudden fall in love with learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'd like to name them. Yeah. Amy Fuentes Garcia could make anything fun. Absolutely. She's like Mary Poppins. She would totally show up at the door right. and make it happen. Peter Farrig always made everything 68 kinds of fun. And CJ Miyake. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. He can make anything a oh, game that's awesome. and fun. And, and if you could watch these people work with a child for five minutes, you would go, oh, head cracked open, wig blown. I got it. Yes. Right? You just go, oh, I've been looking at this entirely wrong. Right. It has to be a clown car of fun. Yep. yep. And if it is, they do want to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And so you've got to get the right people. Get the right people. Okay. Um, all right. We are out of time, yeah. unfortunately, but much love to all of you. We've got a great show tomorrow. We have a wonderful um, 
uh, Dr. Levy, I can't think what her first name is, I apologize, is going to be with us, and she works on tutoring online individuals who are on the spectrum. That is fantastic. Which is amazing, because a lot of us are going into summer going, okay, I want to catch up on some stuff. I think you're going to like what she has to say about how she's making that happen. And then we also have a wonderful self-advocate who's going to be with us talking about an upcoming performance from Spectrum, uh, Spectrum Laboratories. Then Thursday, you're not going to want to miss this, we're doing Let's Talk Movies Live. We almost never do that live, but we are, we've are started doing them live occasionally. So we're doing that live. We're going to talk about Cocaine Bear. You're going to want to be there. <laughs> but there's also a bunch of other things, like if you haven't seen the movie Champions, which has a cast. We've had two of the cast members on the show. Nice. Woody Harrelson oh. is coaching a basketball team. Of, oh, I've heard of it, of course. Oh, my gosh. You're going to you're gonna love the conversation, plus a bunch of other things that we're going to talk about as well. So that would be Thursday, and then Stories from the Spectrum on Friday. So stay tuned. Busy week. Very busy week. All right. Uh, until then, uh, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you, too. Bye-bye for Bye now. Bye, everyone. Don't forget, you can watch Ask Dr. Doreen live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And we hope to see you there.